Hello, I'm Brad. And I'm Jason. You are listening to Dice in My Mind. You know, today's going to be um, an episode that, that, you know, this is a theme that we've kind of had, um, you know, periodically. And I think it's mm-hmm. important. We've talked about the fact that, and I joke that we're in the, you know, this is 20, we're in 2020 part three. Yep. yep. Um, hopefully at some point, you know, we see some sense of normalcy, but we're almost, we're seeing, we're still seeing the after effects, even if they aren't necessarily. Well, we're not even in, the, I medical. mean, in all fair, I mean, we're still undeb- undebatably amidst the pandemic still. I yeah, mean, they have not declared it endemic yet. So we no, are pandemic. No, yep. And, and, and one of the, people. oh, it's very hard. And it's one of the first things that you and I noticed when we started going on Twitter mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. people are much more open and free in talking about their challenges and their struggles yeah. um, and yeah. when they are up and when they are down. And I yeah. still remember going back earlier last year, Discovery season four, I want to say it's episode oh, four. Episode, we'll, I, that's what I think too. You know, it's um, we did an actual episode on this when. So Wilson and, Cruz's beautiful portrayal through Dr. Culber of psychotherapy. And you'll, and you'll hear us talk about it during the, the did, interview. During the interview. Yep. Yeah. Did we, did we talk about that during the interview? Maybe we didn't. Oh, oh, you know what? No, you we know, kept we talking with our guest afterwards. So yeah. we won't, but, but, but it's so apropos. Yeah. And I think what, and that was one of the highest volume uh, visual tweets we had. That's by far. mildly. Yeah. Yes. Imp- impression wise and everything. So again, Jason and I deal with data in different forms. This yeah. is not empirical data. This is more anecdotal, um, you know, smaller sample size. You can look at your analytics of each tweet. All I can tell you is, and Jason would agree, is the that tweet skyrocketed yeah. um, in terms of, uh, you know, in terms of views. So, oh, well, and know. I think I think it bears repeating, you know, you, Brad, you and I have intermittently talked about a ton off air but in a number of episodes when we've just been talking we've we've mentioned how important it is to welcome people to dice and mind to talk about talk about through an educated stance mm-hmm. uh the importance of mental health because i mean and that's where you're going i think right because we're in like you mm-hmm. said we're in the 30th month of 2020 and and people hurt and even though there's like this new normal maybe it's still it's tough you know life can be difficult but but for the past few years there's so much angst out there exacerbated by the pandemic and just making the things that were tough tougher and you and i have wanted to get mental health professionals on yes. the podcast i actually i think from day one oh um, from, and and uh, let it be clear you know Jason has some clinical, some Jason has a clinical background. Yeah. Um, yeah. I have a business background, but we both believe this for very similar reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I've Absolutely. been very open about the fact that, that I've had a number of years of therapy, 
you know, yeah. because of stuff I dealt with growing up, everything. And there's nothing wrong with that. And I'm not afraid no, to talk about you, it. You're not, you, no one's, no one's ashamed to go into a physician to get a medication for like a boo-boo for an Awi. Why should you be ashamed to go into a different type of clinician for a different difficulty? I mean, come well, on. way to take it, way to take a serious conversation and make it sophomore by saying boo-boo and Awi. Yeah. It's, so, it's, it's okay. Yeah. My bad. I, I, I mean, my girls are, are going on 15 and 17, but I will forevermore call it going potty and I can't get it out. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. I know I just, what you're talking about. I just about. can't get it out of the system. I know. I, it's it's just it's just how it is now. <laughs> jokes jokes aside, though, it is it is important um, for any of you, yeah. and for for any of you who know others who may not listen, um, mm-hmm. that um, I see it mm-hmm. as a. I use technical terms. That's where I come from as a consumer or an end mm-hmm. user. Mm-hmm. Um, those that aren't in a clinical field. Um, even see this as well, that there's a need for it. And there's nothing wrong with looking for some help. And, oh, no. and I think when you listen to, and I'll let Jason do the introduction, everything like mm. that. When you listen to the interview today, it doesn't matter whether you are a psychologist or a clinician by background, mm. or mm. if you're not like yep. me, um, there is important discussion that occurs here. And I want everyone, and I'll say this again afterwards, I want for those of us who aren't clinicians, if anything, to come out of this and say, okay, you know what, this is another example of where we are seeing creation of safe zones Mm -hmm. for Mm -hmm. people to, uh, to look for assistance, guidance, help, you know, like, just like our becoming healthier, said, to, mm-hmm. to helping them to thrive. Yes. Right. Yes. And and if you're not interested in any of that, um, it's a really neat conversation, everybody. Oh, yeah. Uh it's it's just such a fascinating application of tabletop role-playing games. And of course, that's what we are all about here on Dice and Mind. And that's that's also one of the reasons. It's it's the reason actually that it's taken us so many episodes before we've had the the good fortune to have someone like our guest this evening. Uh, that that there are so few people doing this kind of work professionally. We really wanted to to find someone who could speak well to that intersection of let's talk about mental health, but let's do it through the lens of of RPGs and and how how they can inform one another. And so so I I think you will hear in a moment with Dr. Megan Connell that that she's doing that, that in fact, she's, she's gone beyond doing that. Um, we're going to talk about her clinical work, her background, her upcoming book. Um, and it's just whether you want to look at it from a mental health side or from a totally geeky RPG side, oh, it's yeah. just, it's just really cool. It's like, you know, Brad and I, you, you and I were talking every week about how RPGs can illuminate real life, can make it help us mm-hmm. think through stuff. Or um, sometimes we even talk about that when we record, but, but like, here's someone who's doing it in this just most elegant way where it's That's having, great point. you yes. know, measurable, real life positive implications. So, so yay for role-playing games, yay for role-playing games, making our society better because of their potential. So with that, we should probably just get to it because this is really cool. Dr. Megan Connell is a board-certified psychologist in private practice who formerly served in the U.S. Army. 
In her current work, she utilizes tabletop role-playing games as a clinical intervention. In 2017, she co-founded the media company Geeks Like Us, which focuses on geek and gaming culture. She is the author of the upcoming book, Tabletop Role-Playing Therapy. She is a board member of Geek Therapeutics, a training platform that develops professional programs teaching the inclusion of games and clinical practices. Dr. Connell speaks nationally on the intersection of gaming and psychology and on geek culture. All right. Well, Megan, thank you so much for joining us. We've already had a really delightful chat before we clicked record. So at this point, everything else is just gravy. Brad shaking his head, but he knows it's true. Um, there, there are so many things we'd like to chat with you about, Megan, because you're doing such interesting work clinically and and as a scholar. And Brad and I definitely want to focus on asking you about your upcoming book. But maybe you could introduce for listeners who aren't familiar with your presence online and your presence professionally. Um, you describe yourself as, boy, you, you've got it in different places online, you've got it in different ways, and they're all really enigmatic, really hooked us in as a therapeutic geek, as, I mean, all of them are just as a D&D therapist. What's that about and, and, and why? why? Why is that your thing? Oh, that's an awesome question. I love, like that you led with that. Um, so one of my big pieces of like who I am is being authentic. I, you know, there's a lot of different schools on how psychologists should present themselves. Right. And, you know, like I, how I am in the room with my clients is obviously it's slightly different than how I am in the room with my friends or my family, but it's always me. It, it's mm -hmm. not one of those times where it's like, oh, wow, you are so different than who I thought you were in this setting versus that setting. I wanted to be authentic to who I am. And I am a humongous fantasy geek and fantasy nerd. <laughs> um, I I love fantasy things and Marvel comics as well and the the MCU and just I, I, that kind of escapism into these worlds where one the actions of one person can save the world. I, and I just I love that. And there is so much of that that I actually wanted to bring into therapy and bringing together the geeky interests and ideas and stories and, you know, to include tabletop role-playing games like D&D &D and everything, and then therapeutic intervention, it just was a natural fit. And when I started finding other psychologists who did this, who like would talk about Star Wars and talk about how to use like Luke Skywalker's journey as a metaphor for life and to, you know, help guide you through making difficult decisions. I was like, yes, yes, please. This is where I want to be. This is what I want to do. And it's what is really important to me. And then uh, getting into the gaming, I, I knew of several psychologists who are using video games therapeutically, but I was more interested in tabletop games. Now, I yeah. love video games. Um, I just saw that there's this new video game stray that I really want to lose oh. myself into. It's about, being, it's about being a stray cat in a post-apocalyptic futuristic <laughs> world filled with robots. Oh, that's actually cool. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 and I'm like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm in into that. But I, I wanted nobody was really doing anything with tabletop yeah. games, yeah. um, in my area. There, I found a few people, you know, nationally, and connected with them, and have worked with them, and gotten actually to play D and D with them, and do some other things. But it was something that I really wanted to push and bring my passion and mm -hmm. bring good research to, and good literature, and you know, do what I can to bring all of that together. So it, it's really just been a thing of like, it, I, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it my way kind of thing. And my way is geeky. 
It is super nice. duper geeky. <laughs> that, speaking, speak, yeah. you're speaking language. That, oh, seriously. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I could see Jason as soon as you were talking about, you know, metaphors, Luke Skywalker's journey is journey through life. Jason's eyes just. Well, and you know, I mean, I, I want to be and to that point, Brad and, and Megan, I want to be, I want to be clear. Um, I'm, uh, we're not going to talk about me, but yeah. as someone who is clinically trained, what you're talking about, I never saw anywhere. There was, I, I mean, literally, there was never a space for this in the discussion of training, in the discussion with professors in a clinical capacity. You know, maybe if I was working with a kid who was kind of geeky, I could use it to good effect, but but there was no professional recognition of value mm -hmm. at all. I, did, did you experience the same thing? Oh, yeah, yeah. So it was so dismissive. I remember I... I want to say it was a projective class or something. So projective measures are like the Rorschach test where you look at something. It's like, tell me what you see in here. Mm -hmm. And we were reading the transcript of somebody being assessed and it was a kid and they were talking about who framed Roger Rabbit. And it was really fascinating because the per person who was assessing the kid had never seen the movie. And the kid was very okay. accurately describing um, the baby in that movie. And if you don't remember, the baby smokes cigars and <laughs> talks in a deep gravelly voice. And like, it's supposed to be a dirty old man who's right. stuck in a baby body, essentially. And the kid's accurately describing this. And what's happening is we're reading through this report and the psychologist oh, no. is completely pathologizing it. Yeah. And it's just like all of us in the class were like, this person's accurately describing this movie. All they're talking, they're trying to share something they love with the psychologist. And this is how um, this kind of dovetails into one of the many hats I wear is I'm yeah. on the uh, consultation committee for uh, Leyline Geek Therapeutics. And it's a company I kind of helped us. Uh, actually, I named it. Um, yes, yeah, so talk with, about that. Yeah. Yeah. With mm -hmm. my friend, uh, Anthony B, Dr. Anthony B. And um and among other amazing psychologists and uh, professionals. And uh, we want to, we're really trying to push geekdom as a cultural competence. Um, in oh. psychology, one of the things that we are ethically bound to do is to seek cultural competency with the cultures that we work with. Right. And geek and gamers have their own language, their own social norms, their own ways of engaging. Yeah. And it's very easy for professionals to pathologize that if they don't accurately understand it, yeah. you know, like, and there's a really big divide with gaming addiction, screen addictions, mm -hmm. all of that kind of stuff. And like trying to balance it. And that's one of the things that, you know, we're really pushing with, with geek therapeutics is talking about like, what is the culture, you know, like it, so often it's really interesting because uh, my office has like, I have a Funko pop problem, um, which, you know, I know this is an audio podcast, but I have Funkos behind me. Yes. My office is filled with them. I have Zelda posters up. I have all kinds of geek and gaming stuff up yeah. and, um, Funny. I'll still have clients come in and I'll ask what they're interested in. They're like, Oh, video games really quickly. I was like, Oh, cool. What kind? You know, and, and like, they're like, well, yeah. I don't want you to pathologize. You know, it's like, I'm not right. addicted. I'm like, I, I didn't say you were, I, I love gaming, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and let's talk about that. And so many people are afraid to talk about the things that they love and the things that are meaningful in their life because mm -hmm. it's being over pathologized. And that's yeah. a really big problem. Yeah. And, you know, I want to be clear. There are some people who have problems with it, mm -hmm. you know, just like anything too much of it's a bad thing and people need right. to find balance. And there's some people who can't. 
and have to recognize like I have a hard time with gaming or with limiting how much I engage with certain digital platforms or whatever. And that can be a problem and then they need help with it, but not every gamer is addicted to games, you know? So Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's a really big thing to try and talk about that cultural competency piece and to help other providers learn what it is. And it's, it's really fascinating to me that I don't know if arrogance is quite the right word for it, but dismissiveness maybe of some people in the field, like, I had a professional uh, email me for consultation saying that they they wanted to use D&D in therapy. And I started talking about the different training programs that are out there. And they're like, oh, no, 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 no. I don't I don't want to learn. I, I'm not going to learn this. And I'm like, kind of got to. <laughs> like, you don't have to run the game, but you need to understand what the game is. Right. And, it, you know, anybody who plays tabletop role-playing games, it's a risk, right? You know, especially if you're getting into more of the heavy role-playing, it's like you are mm-hmm. taking a risk. And if you're in a room where the most professional person in that room isn't willing to take right. a risk, nobody else in that room is going to take a risk. Mm-hmm. And so it's really vitally important. And that is something that I really think people need to understand in the field and work on and understand these cultural competencies so that they get it. You know, it's not saying that like, to work with people who identify as geeks and gamers that you need to have watched, you know, every single episode of Dragon Ball Z, Mm -hmm. but it's a good idea to have an idea of what the show's about. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. or to have Mm -hmm. an overview of like, okay, I understand generally what tabletop role-playing games are. I don't, you know, you don't even have to play them. It's just like, oh, I've watched, you know, 20 minutes of real life play on some sort of live stream or something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And just having that passing familiarity with it enough to ask some informed questions. And then on that ethical front to know where to go to get more information. Yeah. So important. Yeah. Really interesting. So I'm curious age range wise, I'm curious what, like where you started, like, you know, focused on kids or adolescents or adults or whatever. But then now, like, like, what are the age ranges or the age range where you really see this either being asked for or especially potent? I, I This might be surprising, but most age ranges, like mm-hmm. I, I work with uh, folks generally 14 and up though, do you see a few younger uh-huh. folks, um, going all the way, in, way into geriatric population? Mm-hmm. Um, it's sort of interesting. The geriatric population don't identify as geeks, but when I make recommendations of like geeky films, especially to watch a lot of times they will and really enjoy it and get, get a lot of stuff out of it. Interesting. Um, but definitely lots of people in their midlife, huge geeks. And it's, mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, one of the beautiful things about midlife is you stop apologizing for liking the things you like. So true. <laughs> mm-hmm. you, you just nailed our podcast on the head. I mean, oh, yeah. what, are, what are we even doing here? Yeah. 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 Well, and I, and again, another hat that I wear is I'm a co-founder of the media, a media company called Geeks Like Us. Right. And that's our tagline is just be unapologetically enthusiastic. Like, and it's really interesting. Like I catch myself sometimes I'm posting in our discord and I'm wanting to be like, okay, I'm sorry. I'm geeking out. Then I'm like, nope, delete. We are unapologetic. I do not have to be sorry to be excited about something. I could just be super excited about the new Thor movie or Miss Marvel and how freaking cool it was. Um, and, yes. and it's, it's just wonderful to have that stuff. And so it's really across the lifespan and it, it's interesting, you know, 
it's finding that common thread of conversation that you can speak through. So the, the style of therapy I do is called acceptance and commitment therapy or abbreviated to act. Sure. And one of the cornerstones of act is speaking and metaphor, which is probably why I love it so much. Cause that's how I talk. And when I understand someone's geekdom, I know the metaphors to use. You know, if somebody loves um, She-Ra, I've watched all those episodes. I could talk that through. I could be like, okay, so, you know, in this mo moment when Catra was doing this, this is kind of like what's going on here and how we can look at this. Yeah. And it's really beautiful to have that shared language and that shared experience. And so much, I mean, so much geekdom, whatever it is, mm -hmm. is a metaphor for real life. I, I, yes. I mean, it's right. It's a reflection. It's a way to step back. And, and I mean, right. The really good fantasy, the really good sci-fi, whatever, like you and I talk about this stuff, Brad, all the time, oh, yeah. just off air of, of this is just real life playing itself through a different lens that allows us to entertain it more openly, mm -hmm. more honestly. Well, and one of the very cool things that I still freaking can't believe is my life. I actually got to, um, meet and DM for one of my favorite authors. <laughs> and uh, in, in sort of a casual conversation, one of the things they said is they're very intentional with their books because they're like, you know, what we know is we're going to be showing the three worst days of this person's life. Interesting. And that's, that's what this book is going to be is the three worst days of this person's life. And they're going to go through stuff that we hope our readers never have to go through. But if our readers do have to go through it, this book is going to be a little bit of a roadmap of how they can survive it and what they can do wow. to get through to the other side of it. That's impressive writing. Yeah. I was like, Oh my God. I was like, cause it, it, it was one of those things of those books for me had been a roadmap in a lot of ways. And I was like, wow. you did that on purpose. It's so cool. <laughs> wow. You've written a book. I have. So I, I like but, a, I have an author page on Amazon. It's weird. See, that is cool. Yeah, that is cool. And I, I will say that that Jason and I have been talking about books for writing books for years. So every time we see something like that, it's very cool. Um, if you don't mind, I'm gonna I'm not gonna dive into it because it's your book. But talk about what um, the 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 genesis of you deciding to write and what you've written about. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, so. Being at the forefront of what we're calling it applied gaming. So it's what, and what that means is like taking the games and playing them intentionally and bringing therapeutic themes into it. So when someone's talking about applied theater, applied music, applied gaming, that's what we're talking about is utilizing those tools in effective ways for therapy. Um, so I, I've been, you know, one of the people at the pointy end of the spear of this and taking a big risk <laughs> to develop yeah. a new form of therapy. Yep. And it, it's really been this interesting thing because there's no research. And okay. that's such mm -hmm. a weird thing. Um, mm -hmm. D and D was super duper popular in the 1980s and people were playing it at community centers and with at-risk youth yeah. and nobody studied it and nobody did randomized controlled studies and video games got Lots of, there's lots and lots and lots of studies on video games. Now there's a lot of theoretical papers on tabletop gaming, but there's no applied research. So this is really for all of us. So myself, the folks at the Bohana group, the folks that came to grow, um, the folks at aspiring youth, like we've all taken a humongous risk to go. We we're going to roll our dice and believe that yeah. tabletop gaming is an effective form of therapy. And we're going to try this and we're going to figure out what, what we, how to do it. Um, none of us did it perfectly because there was no roadmap. 
Yeah. I mean, I've made plenty of mistakes DMing. Um, mm -hmm. just in learning how to DM and learning how to therapeutically DM, like there's been a lot of mistakes. And so a lot of this book is essentially don't do what I did sometimes. <laughs> you nice, know? nice. Here, here's the lessons learned and here's how you can do this ethically. And I, one of the parts of the book that I am most proud of that uh, the publishers agreed to keep in, at least at this time, um, is mm -hmm. I, I have an appendix that is basically a cry for research where I list That's out a great. bunch of different research questions I have. Mm -hmm because it, I've been contacted by dozens of graduate students who want to study this All and that. are having a hard time. Yeah. And so what those research questions are is it's hopefully a roadmap for those graduate students and their advisors to mm -hmm. say like, okay, I can see where their research is starting from and here's how we build upon it. And here's how we start to establish this as a potential yeah. intervention. Um, and so it, the idea here is like reading this book isn't necessarily going to turn somebody, a therapist into a gaming therapist, but it gives them that roadmap on how they could get there. Yeah. And who's the who's the primary audience for this book? It's written for clinicians. So right. it, you mm -hmm. know, it is written for those who are studying psychology or therapy um, mm -hmm. or are already licensed providers or working mm -hmm. with licensed providers. Mm -hmm. That being said, though, I try to write the language of it in such a way that if you are just interested in mm -hmm. why do these games make me feel so much? <laughs> why is it that I can have a game of D&D &D and I feel things that I don't feel in my day-to-day -day life that I can feel more connected in that moment? Yeah. And my hope is that this book can also set, shed some light for just the casual player who is wanting to understand why these games can be so impactful and what's happening, you know, and why is it that you're learning stuff through playing, that by playing somebody with confidence, suddenly you're feeling more able to stand up for yourself. And how is that happening? Is that, are those charisma scores really, you know, superimposing onto you, right? So it, it's, um, again, it's more geared towards clinicians, you know, I would say for those who are, you know, not, not clinicians and wanting to read the book, skip the lit review chapter. <laughs> you don't need it, but there's definitely some stuff yeah. in there that you're going to enjoy. You, if I could, I'm, I'm notorious for sending us on sidebars when I think of something. So just bear with me. It's interesting. You, it, when you were talking, what came to mind was how people were dealing with things during the pandemic at the worst of it. Yeah. Yeah. when we were all locked down um, and obviously gaming, I mean, it was in the news, it was on, you know, CBS Sunday morning. It was, you know, it was something that had kind of really re-entered the zeitgeist, especially yeah. with all of us locked down. How did that play out with, um, I want to try to, I don't want to try to make this too nebulous, but um, in your work and being general, obviously in your work with folks and then how it affected your writing when you were draft when you were drafting this? How did that work for you? Mm -hmm. Um, it's a good question. I I think like for me, one of the interesting things that happened during the pandemic was like I actually was gaming less because oh. I ran my games face to face, and I had run some games. Oh. Oh. Um, I did you know my game my group switched virtual for the first part of the pandemic because we shut we had to shut down. Um when I was like week six out of 10 for my mm -hmm. groups. Mm -hmm. And then I tried running yeah. a few online and it just, it didn't vibe the same way for me. Um, I think one of the problems with that, something I noted for myself at least was yeah. changes that I would see around week six in a face-to-face -face group. I was seeing at week eight in an online group. Interesting. And okay. so it was still happening. It was just happening slower. Um, yeah. 
But what that did for me during the pandemic was it gave me more time to start really wanting to write and wanting to do this. Um, I started this book in the October of 2021, and then I turned it in in um, March of 2022. So just a few months ago. So fast. That's really fast. Um, But it had been something percolating for a long time. And like I've been talking with lots of folks about the book, I had developed a training program that uh, is through Geek Therapeutics. And I do a training program on my own as well, um, where I have uh, people sign in and we do 10 weeks and I teach them what I know and what I've learned. And so I've had all those experiences. And so all what this really was, was kind of taking like the practical work I've done, the teaching work I've done, the consultations and the reviews I had done to that point. And then it really funneled it all together and focused it in to get to this book. And, and what's the title of the book? So everyone can hear it. Pull it up. <laughs> ha, I was wondering if that was going to happen. <laughs> I know. Okay. So, fun thing I've learned uh, authors don't get to name their own books, especially oh, new authors. Okay. Yep. Um, that's so we've heard that before. That's kind of a theme. Yeah. That's yeah, true. Yeah. Yeah. There, there's a lot of stuff in writing and things that you learn through, you know, like I had all these assumptions in grad school when I was getting these books. Um, and they're, oh my yeah. gosh. I was so, my theories were so bad, <laughs> but that's another topic. It's a tabletop role-playing therapy, a guide for the clinician GM. And, and it's coming out, it's anticipated by March of next year. Yes. 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 It, it's on track to be done by March of next year. That's outstanding. So I'm just, um, I'm just thinking too, as, as now I'm the non-clinician of the group. Um, I'd like to think I'm honorary, but then Jason regularly reminds me how much of an idiot I am. Um, <laughs> That's no, not a therapeutic just thing to say. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> but um, we'll talk about that offline. No, no we won't. Um, yeah, <laughs> but um, for those that aren't clinicians, I think it's important for them to hear yeah, that um, you know individuals like you are looking at this and looking at therapy from a gaming perspective. And, and I've been honest about this since the initial podcast I've gone, I've, you know, I've been Mm -hmm. through therapy. Mm -hmm. Um, And so having individuals who can talk in that language, which is again, like you said, unapologetic, I think it's also important for those that have listened here. um, Even if you're not a clinician, Mm -hmm. it's still fascinating to me because as a consumer, for lack of a better term, I apologize, but um, they need to know that it's out there and mm-hmm. that, you know, if you are struggling, I'm, I'm soapboxing here for a second. If you are struggling, mm-hmm. yeah, you can do that in an environment that's unapologetic, just based off of the fact that it's so important to you, yeah. you yeah. know, and you shouldn't feel like you have to hide it, you know, like you said. So I just, I just, it, it just clicked with me. The idea of being unapologetic. I'm sorry, I'm hammering on that, but it's just, when you said that mm-hmm. it really resonated. Yeah. So, and, and it's so important to have that space where you can just geek out about something. Like mm-hmm. I, it's, even somebody I was seeing today, we were geeking out about uh, Miss Marvel and how much we both loved it. And we're just like, Oh my God. And this part was so cool. And this is I'm like, Oh, what does this mean for the future of the MCU? And just, getting to have that place where they're they're able to be unapologetically enthusiastic and they're not getting judged in a negative light right right like we can't say they're not getting judged at all because we're always judging i'm judging them as being awesome right you know that is still a judgment Mm -hmm. but it 
it's just this place where you can freely love something and not get gatekeep, you know, not have to deal with gatekeeping, not have to mm-hmm. deal with, you know, just toxicity. It's just like, yeah, let's, let's be excited about this thing. Mm-hmm. And this well, is to, so cool. To circle back to something you said early on in this chat about, I would just love to hear more about it. And it's based off of what you just suggested, Brad, or recognized you had mentioned Megan, that so much of this is about being, and you use better words than this, but uh, culturally affirming, culturally mm-hmm. normative, right? Recognizing being part of geek culture as a resource set. Um, yes. I, I wonder if you could say, because to me, that's what you're talking about, Brad, right? Being validated for being part of this and then recognizing, like when you said, wow, I wonder if, you know, maybe you can raise your charisma. It's like, well, my God, that's so metaphorically concrete. I know that's a tautology, but mm-hmm. but but that's that's so cool. And I can see how with people that that could so easily resonate and be yeah. validating when they're not getting it elsewhere. Yeah. Well, and it is just so wonderful. Like I, I have a, another client I worked with and they you know, they want to be a person who doesn't need to sleep as many of us do. And they're a person who needs to sleep um, a little bit more. Like they probably need to run, <laughs> you know, 10 hours as oh, opposed yeah. to most people's eight. And they're really frustrated by this, but when they get those 10 hours, they are so effective with the other 14 they've got. And, and so, you know, the thing that was said is like, you're a wizard. You want to be a bard. You really, really want to be a bard, but you're a wizard. You need that long rest so you can change up your spells every day. Like you got to get that full long rest in. You're not a bard. You can just kind of charm yourself through things. Like you, you need that rest. And like, it's, that was a phrase that just stuck with them because they were doing something like I wanted to go do this, but you know what? That's a bard thing. And I'm a wizard and I, I got it. Well, I got a wizard. That's and me. Nothing you just said is pathologizing or yeah. demoralizing. It's like everything you said there is healthy. Everything you said there mm-hmm. is like, no matter how they perceive themselves as fitting in or not to what you just said, it's mm-hmm. all encouraging. It's all supportive. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. And th- I think that's the thing too, in like these stories and like, you know, finding those characters that we resonate with, you know, one of the awesome Awesome things about doing a lit review, weird sentence. I never thought no, I would I'm, say. I'm with you. Keep going. <laughs> was uh, you know, I one of the rabbit holes. I so I with with the book because there is no formalized research on tabletop role playing games. Yeah. It's just theoretical research. I had to do a lot of digging into tangential like or mm-hmm. adjacent kind of fields, and one mm-hmm. of them is um, just studying literature. And so there's been studies on empathy and reading that the more you read fiction, Mm -hmm. the better your empathy skills will be. And the more you identify with a character in the book, the greater that impact on your empathy is going to be, you know, so the, my theory is like, okay, then if that's true in reading a book, most likely that's true at a tabletop role-playing game. So I have to, I mean, no one can see us, but like I'm watching Brad's facial response to this and like, (laughs) he knows I read almost exclusively nonfiction. No, that's exactly. And I can just see the- No, 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 no. I knew that's what you were thinking. And that's why he's like a rock. He was never good in therapy. (laughs) No, 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 no. Because I know, yes, you do read a lot of nonfiction. I tend to read a lot of fiction, but you do read fiction. And I think it, I think, what Megan just said validates what I believe about you. And that is you do have, even though you read a lot of nonfiction, you do mix. You, we just got done talking about this in prior episodes as to what yeah, you were reading. So, yeah, so not to digress from the topic, funny. I think it's just listening to that 
it's funny how um i guess it just resonated with me you know yeah just, absolutely you know, and i hope it does with everyone listening is mm-hmm. you know listen to the value you can get from mm-hmm. reading nonfiction, from having that yeah. shelf mm. of dragon lance and forgotten realms and oh yeah craft and whatever the case is you know there's a positive to that the positive of the time you spend doing that yeah well and, and you yeah. know again I, I i'd wear a lot of hats and do a lot of things and so one of the sh- things i'm really excited about in geeks like us is i run the book club oh, and cool. I love epic fantasy and I had started uh, Kate Elliott's crown of stars series, like when it was coming out in the early late nineties, early two thousands. And then I started grad school. So then my time for reading fiction just went away. (laughs) Um, So I were going through that entire series in the book club and it's so wonderful, but like, it is so fascinating to be reading about these characters who go through really difficult times and have to grapple with that, you know, and, It's really fun because my co uh, co facilitator that is another psychologist. We both have a language based learning disability too, which means neither of us can remember proper nouns, and we're trying to remember fantasy names, so it's terrible. (laughs) (laughs) That part is terrible. (laughs) But we have so much fun, and we love these books so much. And it, it, you know, you are learning about things, and you are thinking, and like about how to grow and it's like god how would i deal with this you know what would i do were i in that situation Mm. and i I love how fantasy stories give us you know survival and hope Mm -hmm. right there's so so many times where it's like oh i would just die you know it's like (laughs) (laughs) one of my one of my kids was asking what it is like what would you do if the zombie apocalypse happened i was like oh die (laughs) (laughs) i don't think i'd survive like i'm not no, uh, that that's yeah, not going to happen. But you know, really, the human ability, our drive to survive and to thrive, is incredible. Yeah. And I, I think that's one of the things to think about, like these worlds where you know it it was really difficult to survive, yet we found ways. And yeah. the, the, even in these fantasy worlds, you know that that the different species adapted to live in their different settings and to adapt to the world around them and to, you know, and that life finds a way and that we just kind of continue on. It's really cool. God, that's so, that's, that's so well said. That's, that, that so fits with, with the work you're doing. Okay. So I know, I know, Brad, you're going to undoubtedly have more thoughts and questions, but I'm going to ask no, 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 go ahead. My la- well, no, I'm going to ask my last question because every time I okay. say my last question, then Brad barrages like four to six more. So I've learned. <laughs> I, pro- I promise. Well, I promise. No, no, you <laughs> no. should. You can't. No, this is fun. This, this is, is fun. yeah. No, this is this is so. I mean, there's so many more things I would love to just chat about with you, but but I think for me, I, I'm curious, and I have to assume others are curious too. Um, let's put let's put D and D. Let's put wizards on the spot because you know, I mean, obviously. Yeah. That's the big one. That's the right? big one. Yeah. That's the big one. And and I, I I mean you I see online you're talking about it. And I'm assuming that's I'm assuming that's the one that's more your go-to than others. Is that a fair assumption? It is, yes. And I, something I say in the book several times because mm-hmm. like it's not something I want people to get be confused on. Yeah. D is not the best system for therapy. Um, yeah. there is no such thing as a best system for therapy. The best system, much like the best diet is the one that works for you. You yeah, know, like nice. I, I am familiar with d and I enjoy mm-hmm. playing d and I know the mm-hmm. rule set of d and I can, like I've run games where I have zero prep. I just kind of 
know stuff and I mm-hmm. throw it together really quickly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I I really would like love to run Outbreak Undead and learn that system more, but I don't have time. <laughs> and yeah. it's a more yeah. niche system and getting people right. to want right. to play that is more difficult. So yeah, it's the go-to system, but again, so, so that, that no, that's so that I mean you're already taking me into my questions. So so D&D because it's so familiar. I mean, my god, it's a, you know, it's a golden age right now. Yeah. Um but but I'm curious uh you know, just unofficially you know, of course, if they want to take your idea and then, you know, pay you for it, that would be great. Be but um, I've, we've, we've been hearing that's not how it works. Who knows? Yeah. Um, that's <laughs> yeah. But um, but seriously, then, Megan, if 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 there could be a change or a or a set of changes to D&D, be it the mechanics or the kind of the gestalt of the worldview or what, whatever, what would you wish to see? Like if you just had a wish list, just one mm-hmm. or a set of things that would really make it that much more therapeutically available in the work you yeah. do. What kind of things would you want to see done? Well, so I'm going to take off the therapist hat to start off with, with this question and just have on my GM hat and yeah. DM hat for Please. D&D. Fix the CR system. Oh my God, it's useless. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, yeah. The challenge rating system, I I mean, like you have to make encounters super deadly, especially if you have it that they're only really facing one thing per long rest. Mm-hmm. Um, it's uh, that system. It, it's like it's either so bad or so like uh, I my the game I play in, we fought a beholder when we were the appropriate level to fight a beholder and it almost TPK'd us. Wow. That's and kind of it, like the wisp that you got attacked by and almost died. Yes, it's all relative. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. You know, so like that that would that would be my ultimate big, big, big wish because it does like you have to have quite a bit of experience running combat to get that the okay. right feel of how to sure challenge without killing and you know, making it feel hopeless or a right. slog. Um, because none of those are fun. Also good ideas for therapy, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um therapeutically stuff I, I want exploration better explored uh, you know yeah, no pun yeah, intended, yeah. i guess there but or yeah, yeah. wordplay there um because like there is so much that you can do with exploration and role play like role play obviously is going to be at the comfort of the gm but finding ways to bring more exploration and like more maps and mapping skills, you know, like when I first, first started playing D&D back in the nineties um, was when I first started playing, you know, we didn't have the maps. Everybody had grid paper and, you know, the, the way the DM read stuff was you walk into a room that is 14 by five or like 15. by 10 and okay, let me put that. Uh, and then it's like, shoot, we went right. I need another piece of paper to tape onto this one. You know, like it was a lot of mapping that was not, it was cool, but not so fun. So there needs, uh, there needs to be something in there because there's, you know, like getting lost and finding your way when you're lost, I think is something that's really interesting. And that doesn't seem to happen to D and D characters anymore. Interesting. Oh, I wonder, did you notice that just out of curiosity, did you notice a shift in that, you know, I suspect you played four in some form or another. You know, I did not play edition. four. I don't okay. even know what set I played in middle school because I didn't have the books. My DM had the books. And anytime we made character sheets, we got out, you know, notebook paper and we mm-hmm. wrote everything out in pen or pencil. <laughs> so yeah, I, I think it might've been three 
maybe or 2.5 i don't know <laughs> i mean that's that's what i you know when i was younger when when we play that's what we would well, actually we played original red box i guess that probably dates me to some extent but for our age i mean for when we were young like that we couldn't necessarily afford the books unless we got them as gifts so that's how you learn to play yeah. mm-hmm. so house rules kind of became the rules you know mm-hmm. um, yep so but the exploration piece therapeutically it makes a lot of sense right you're going yeah. back to projection like you were talking about your class yeah and, and just getting people to explore and to figure out like because you know i what i see um there's a lot of different things that come up in therapy obviously and themes that you kind of see overall with the clients that you work with and for so many people like they just kind of go it's like okay i'm supposed to do this step and this step and this step and this step and they don't know how to improvise outside of those steps you know and like they've never you know like we have a very safe world in a lot of ways now like Mm -hmm. when i was a kid I was still part of that, like, just, you know, like when my parents got sick of me, go outside, don't come back inside until it's dark. And it's like, we had woods out back of my house and I just went and played in the woods. Mm -hmm. You know, the Mm -hmm. thought of my kids going and doing that terrifies me now, you know? Mm -hmm. And, Mm -hmm. um, but I, you know, and like, even thinking of like, when I went to the mall with my friends as a teenager that I got before cell phones, and we said, okay, we're going to meet up at Orange Julius at 11. And then at 11, nobody's there. And then you got to be like, all right, yep. oh, I bet they're all in this store. Let me go to the, you know, having to think right. that through and be like, yep. where might they be? And-, and then you head over to the Sam Goody or the B Daltons. <laughs> oh, you yeah. did it. I was, I was, I, you were trying to date it, but as soon as you said, we're or- just going to call it what it is. Yeah. As soon as yeah. she said Orange Julius, yeah. I knew you yeah. were going to try to there come back. Is. And, you know, <laughs> so yeah. yeah. Sorry. <laughs> No, but like that stuff I think is important. Yeah. And like that, because yeah. that's also how we get wonder. Um, I have not gotten this um, setting and, and book yet. So like it might be in there, but I wonder like how the Middle Earth campaign setting does this because that's all what Middle Earth is, right? It's oh, like, interesting. you know, you're in the third age or the start of the fourth age really. And all this stuff from the second age is still around that's kind of been forgotten. And you go and you explore and- Middle Earth is defined by its history and its names and finding like, oh, is this the lost city of, you know, that was founded by this, you know, one of the blue wizards or something. And, Mm -hmm. you know, so like, I feel like the Middle Earth system needs like really good exploration because that's what it is. That's funny you mentioned that too. I don't have it in front of me because I know the one ring just came out. Mm -hmm. We just talked about this Mm -hmm. second edition and I just picked it up and Mm -hmm. there was uh, adventures in middle earth uh, a couple of years ago before they lost the license. And I've been talking to Jason about that idea of playing in that realm Um, just from a different perspective. I mean, obviously wizardry and and magic is different there than it is in traditional D and D. So You've been very gracious with your time oh, and spending it with us. Thank um, you so much. Thank you so much. Um, when your book comes out, uh, I think it's in 2023, right? Yep. That's, that's early schedule. We would love early to have you back. Yes. I'd love out. to. Yeah, this is great. Like, awesome. Oh my gosh, <laughs> so much time has gone by, but it doesn't feel like Yeah, that's what, yeah. once we yeah. get going, then we lose track of time. That's yeah. why we both yeah. kind of time keep. Otherwise, we'd go for hours. Yeah. So, so this, this, but, was, this was just fascinating. Thank you so much, Megan. Thank you. All right. That was fascinating. Yeah. And you brought up a good point that I, that I failed to do so 
before we before you lived, before the interview came on, and that is, you know, whether you look at this as a clinician, whether you look at this as someone who um, is always interested in seeing how people can find ways to get help, or if you're a geek and it's are looking gamer. at another yeah. ways and a gamer. And when you listen um, to Dr. Connell, mm -hmm. um, you will you hear Megan talk about mm -hmm. being unapologetic. You, you beat me to it. Yep. Unapologetically that, enthusiastic. Yes. So be unapologetically enthusiastic about how you're seeing our hobby mm -hmm. translate into new areas that yes. you wouldn't necessarily think would fit for it. Yep. Yeah, no, I think, man, that's perfect. Okay, with that then, let's walk over for a brief GM corner because at this point, we're going long. What uh, what have you, what's what's on your table? What's on your screen? What's going on with you? I'm, I'm going to, I've talked about the one ring yep. um, and I've talked about Torchbearer. I'm still working through those. So I can't tell you necessarily, we'll, we'll talk about more, those more um, when we have a, when we, when we have a little more time, this was, this was, we ran longer and it's good. We did. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. But for me, I'll be honest with you, what I've been focusing this past week on, and Jason knows this because I've been messaging him mm -hmm. um, on music. So yeah. um, I've been, I have a, I think we've talked about it. I have a, a soundboard. I use products by a company called Novation. I have a soundboard, which we haven't implemented yet. And that reminds me, I need to work on that this weekend because I want to be able to have the donkey sound I can push every time Jason talks. Um, Hee-haw. Exactly, but it wouldn't sound like that. Um, but but I I tell Jason that I have you know you heard Megan talk about music therapy or music. She's mentioned she mentioned it in passing mm -hmm. a couple mm -hmm. times. Yeah, um, music is therapy for me. Plus, and Jason, I can't remember the term, and I normally do. It's late for me. Um, my my visual synesthesia. Thank you. You're synesthetic. I, yeah, yeah, when it comes to I, music, I mm -hmm. see colors. Um, and I can't explain how without this running long, but there's some music that came out and I won't get into it now. Yeah. You were sending me that today. Yeah. And I, I could, yeah, no pun intended. I'll, I could totally see it. Yeah. yeah. I sent, I'll send yeah. another time, but, but for me, it also got me playing some, some stuff related to that type of music with guitar. It's classic rock folks. Mm -hmm. And on my keyboard, um, mm -hmm. which I haven't done and I haven't played piano organ keyboard yeah. type of stuff like traditional in a while yeah. so that's me it's it's really that's, been focused wow. on music this week um how about you well it's so it's funny you say this so i'm going to actually switch this a bit briefly mm -hmm. but um i too as I, I i've been texting you about this too so it's really apropos uh i've slowly started returning to the piano i you know and you, you and i talked about this uh at the end of spring when i was uh, offline when i was saying to you you know uh you know, you being kind of my musical guru in the background and then me saying, you know, I, I don't know that I want to take lessons over, over the summer. It's been a few years and you you told me what your guitar teacher told you, which is sometimes you just got to take a break from it. And mm -hmm. I've taken a break over the summer uh, and, and it's been good. And like, thank you. Cause you're reminding me is, is when we're done recording this evening, um, I will walk around in my office here and I will go to the piano and I will, I will work on that little jazz piece that I'm trying to learn to work on sevenths, but that's not actually what I want to talk about. I'm going to take a little lowbrow to wrap us up. Uh, oh, this, shocker. I, it is. This, yeah. this episode drops on August 15th and looking ahead 
the rest of the month. And I, I know we're going to be talking about all of this much more in the coming several weeks ahead. Yep. But in the coming weeks, this month in August, uh, we are seeing returning to the screen, to the television screen via streaming, uh, season three of Star Trek Lower Decks, mm-hmm. Star Wars Andor, yep. and The One Ring. Which... Uh, all of them fascinate me. I'm very interested very in seeing that. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, so we have later this month new Star Trek, new Star Wars, new Tolkien, which is of course, you know, the 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 much of the lifeblood of early DD. It's like, I mean, talk about a geek fest of a month. So there's a ton, mm-hmm. there's a ton of stuff that we know no matter what will all be beautifully produced and hopefully well-written um like you you know we're going to have to devote an episode to 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 the new one ring from prime oh I mean, yeah i think I, yeah you're, you're I going think, to explode if we don't yeah you're need to I talk think, about it and i've piqued your interest enough you may not have bought anything but but um oh the, the know, game yeah yeah and again i'll go back to it folks if well, you have any interested in 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 middle earth gaming um, at a minimum, pick up the the starter, the starting kit, the starters game, because yeah. it is so beautifully done. Yeah. Well, as um, you know, just just like two and a half hours ago, I ordered a D and D a D and D source book, and a little less than two and a half hours ago, I right. did the same thing after following you. <laughs> right. Peer pressure for you is like a gentle breeze. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <Right>? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, you should click. Okay. Yeah, it's like a, a what talk about lowbrow. It's like a toot in the wind. How's that? I didn't use the actual term, but yeah, that 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 really adulted it up after all the Aoi discussion. <laughs> yeah, so I think I think before we insult the intelligence of any more listeners, uh, you did that all, with boo boos and Aoi. So I just yeah. I just had to wrap yeah. that with a bow. well. But look, the answer is tooting in the wind. So mm-hmm. everybody, be well. Stay well. We will see you next week.